I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I bet this is Pontifax. It is, shockingly enough. Welcome to Pontifax, because Fry didn't say it. She's Fry, and I'm Brie, and we're ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 85, Pope Conan. Ooh, the lamentations of the women. I don't know the rest of the quote. Yeah, definitely barbarian style. So... This is Pope Conan, and it has been, again, a long time since we've recorded, but hey, we've kept to our schedule, so that's good at least. We're trying so hard. School's gonna start here in, uh, well, 16 days if they don't postpone it. It's a good time, but hey, just hold it in your hearts, dear listeners, that I'm currently writing episode 99 and 100. Man, you're so far ahead. I'm so far ahead. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I apologize hey. profusely for being a disaster. <laughs> Look, everybody is a disaster right now. That is all we can ask ourselves to be. Just know that the content is there and the content is continuing to be created. So we're, we're on it. Even though we're falling apart a little bit, we're on it, so. You're fine. It's me. I'm <laughs> I'm falling apart enough for both of us. You have children. I don't have children. <laughs> My dogs are thriving in the quarantine, so we are all good. <laughs> you got them loafs, them loafy boys. Them toasty loafs are having a great time. But let's get on to it, because this is Pope Conan, not toasty loafs. We could do an entire bonus episode where we talk about toasty loaves, though, because corgis are just great. I love toasty loaves. They're so cute. Pope Conan was born in Sicily, and his father's name is not known. The Liber Pontificalis does not tell us his name this time, but we do learn that his father was a Thracian. Have you heard that term before? Yes. Because of Spartacus? Yes. Yes, yes. If you have seen anything about Spartacus, you have heard the term Thracian. For context, Thrace is a regional term that was used for that easternmost tip of Greece, as well as some areas that are now Bulgaria and Turkey. As a region, it had a strong military identity all the way back before the era of, like, Alexander the Great. For the sake of what we're talking about here in the 7th century, it would have been well within the scope of the Roman-slash-Byzantine Empire, but this is all to say that Conan's father was from that region. And considering that the Liber Pontificalis decides to identify him in this way, he was probably some type of soldier. We're making an inference, but it's, it's an educated inference, if you will. Conan was raised and educated and then entered the church in Sicily, either that being where his family had settled or where his father was stationed. But like our last Sicilian pope, the raids of the Muslim Caliphate into Sicily are probably our best explanation for why he ends up in Rome. And he enters the clergy there and becomes prominent enough to be made a cardinal on May 1st of 683 by Pope Leo II. Okay, he's getting there. That's fast. Yeah, he's doing pretty well. And then when Pope John dies in the summer of 686, a conflict arose in the matter of papal succession that revealed a growing tension that had been developing in the city. And we kind of teased this a little bit last time, but here we are. So, for the last few popes, 
we've been discussing the increased benefits that had come out of the church, out of the positive relationship between the church, Rome, and the emperor, Constantine IV. Them hairs. Them (laughs) Them hairs. And with all of that goodwill between Rome and Constantinople, there had also come movement. Generally, movement of citizens from Constantinople into Rome. And then, of course, let's not forget the great migrations coming into Rome due to Muslim disruptions. So at this time, all in all, Rome is looking a little bit more Byzantine than Latin these days. So are they coming for their summer homes? Or are they moving there for reels reels? Well, they are moving there for reels reels. And this is causing some concerns, right? Because the people, these Latin people who have lived in Rome are looking around and things are looking significantly more multicultural than they have in the past. Right. Yeah. Well, and by and I'm sure they're helping at least fix all the broken infrastructure and stuff. I mean, yes, there are good things about this, but you know how people are when new people move into their territory. Karens. We got a bunch of Latin Karens. What is a good Latin analog name for Karen? Ooh. I mean, probably, probably something like Karena, because if we had a Karenus, the daughters would be Karena, and it would be, would be pretty close. Let's go with that. So one place that this manifests in detention is between the military of Rome, which had certainly benefited from this influx of Easterners, right? There are a lot of them that are coming and joining the army, which is great. But then we have the clergy, which has had a little bit of Eastern influx, but is still primarily Latin slash Roman based. So all of our clerics are the Carenas. So... (laughs) Well, look, the Eastern Orthodox Church has some ideas that they don't agree with. Well, exactly. And and culturally, there's there's definitely a different divide. So they're they're, they're concerned, right? So the military, they want to see a priest called Theodore, who has the highest seniority in the Roman clergy, become the next pope. We don't know much about Theodore other than he was Greek slash Eastern, but there's generally an assumption that he looked favorably on the army and that if he was the next pope, some financial favors would be coming their way. But in contrast, the majority of the clergy, these Latin carenas, wanted an archpriest named Peter who they felt would protect church interests first and foremost. Now you'll notice that none of these men are called Conan. Where did our barbarian friend come in? He just rolls up? Yeah, he's just hanging out in the background. So the clergy refuses to elect Theodore, and the army, in response to that, bars the gates of the Lateran to prevent them from electing Peter. Oh. From the Liber Pontificalis, I quote, The clergy assembled outside the doors of the Constantinian Basilica and waited there. Since men sent from the army to guard the locked main doors of the Basilica were on watch, and would certainly not let anyone inside. The whole army had likewise assembled at the Basilica of St. Stephen, the first martyr. They would not agree with the clergy, nor the clergy with them, on either of the above priests. Is there some rule that says that you can't just go to a cave and vote for the Pope? I mean, there isn't, and we have seen this before. We have seen them gone to other places to elect the Pope when there has been an occupation of the space. And then generally what we end up having when this happens is there are two elections and anti-popes and 
you know, all of that goes down. And that's pretty much what it looks like is going to happen here, right? It looks like we're going to just have competing elections. We're going to have an anti-Pope situation. But the two sides agree to meet and negotiate instead because neither of them want to see an eruption of violence out into the streets, right? How nice of them. Right? (laughs) They have not forgotten how anti-papacies have gone in the past. However, when they got together to meet and negotiate, neither side was willing to relent from their chosen candidate. And so a third compromise candidate was put forth, and this is Conan. Why does he make a good compromise candidate? Well, he has a good reputation. He is the son of a soldier. He is a dedicated priest, so he could appeal to both sides, right? He's got an Eastern background, and he will have a good understanding or at least a sympathy towards the military. But his reputation as a cleric and his dedication to protecting the church and the church's vested interests make him satisfactory to the the Carenas. Good for him. He's also, like, super old and already pretty sick. Oh no. They came to understand that if they regretted their choice, it wasn't going to be long before they could come back with, like, a stronger, more compelling candidate. How dare. (laughs) They're just like, look, if this guy dies soon, it'll be fine. (laughs) Again, we go to the Liber Pontificalis. Then the sacerdotes and clergy adopted a plan. Single-mindedly, they entered the Lateran Episcopum and elected and nominated the third in rank under the previous pontiff. He had a truly angelic appearance, venerable white hair, true speech, advanced age, an uncomplicated mind, and the quiet habits of the religious life, and at no time had he engaged in business or worldly affairs. Instantly, all the judges and all the army officers came to hail him, and they all proclaimed his praises. When the army saw the unanimity of the clergy and people in subscribing to the decree of his favor, they too gave way after a few days agreed on this holy man, and devoutly subscribed to this decree. And thus, Conan was elected as the next pope. There he is. He's the compromise. So, right away, as pope, Conan was met with the arrival of some prolific Irish missionaries. These are St. Killian and Coleman. And they and a group of ten missionaries had traveled on pilgrimage to Rome to ask the pope for permission to travel to Franconia, a region in south-central Germany, which is now, like, Biden and Bavaria, and evangelized to the people there. Were they, like, on their way much earlier than this whole, like, Pope debacle happened? Like, they've been traveling a while. They show up. It's a whole new Pope. Pretty much. Exactly. They might have even been present for the tail end of it, because they show up pretty much right away. As soon as he's consecrated, they are there looking for his permission. He approves their request with a papal commission and consecrates Killian to be the bishop of Freconia so that when he arrived, he could immediately establish a diocese, which they did and were very successful in converting the Germanic people until he was beheaded on the orders of the Duke Gosbert and his wife Galena. Turns out that Galena had been married to the Duke's brother prior to marrying the Duke and them being married now was in violation of Christian marriage laws. Galena was very angry about being told this, and so she had her husband murder the missionary. 
Coleman and another missionary called Tottenham were also beheaded at the time. So just a bunch of murder because this woman is in a non-canonical marriage. Side note, St. Killian is now the patron saint of rheumatism. That leads to more questions. I know. But, I mean, we can always do a bonus episode on him because we're having a lot of fun looking at strange saints. So, moving on from the missionaries. Like his predecessor, Conan also continued the amicable relationship with the Byzantine Emperor, now Justinian II. Now, despite the fact that Justinian is going to end up largely unpopular with the secular population, he is going to get along very well with the Pope. And as a side note, if you are listening to this and you've listened to Totalis Rankium, this is Justinian No-Nos, and that episode is an absolute banger, so definitely, definitely listen to that when you're listening to this. Pope Conan received the letter originally written by the Emperor for John, which indicated the canons of the Sixth Ecumenical Council had been found and preserved in the city, and that Justinian II was going to require all of his political elite, whether they be military, political, or ecclesiastical, to confirm their adherence to the councils to ensure there wasn't some sort of, like, surreptitious renewal of monothelitism in the East. He also continued the tax breaks on patrol patrimonial land that his father had permitted, and extended it further to include lands in Brutium and Lucania. With the emperor, Things are good, and they remain good, which is great, because not a lot goes good for Justinian. However, there seems to be a pretty large misstep committed by Conan in his handling of a matter in Sicily. You know, there are some attempts to explain away in the sources that the, the Pope was ill, and so he was relying very heavily on advisors at this point, so they try to indicate that this may not have been a personal choice of Conan, but, I mean, this is something we always get. There are always reports of advisors arguing for something that the Pope doesn't want to take responsibility for, and we also have reports that maybe his advisors argued against this, so we don't know. But the problem is that Conan had appointed a Sicilian deacon called Constantine to be the rector, which is the manager of the patrimonial property in Sicily. Any property that had been donated and was providing income for the church now is under this man, Constantine. And this was extremely valuable property, producing a significant income that the church in Rome particularly relied on. It's very good. It's making a lot of money. But many people were extremely unhappy with Constantine in this position. The Roman clergy were upset to see a Sicilian put in charge for fears that the income would be diverted into Sicily rather than supporting the Roman clergy, and the workers in Sicily who were actually responsible for the production of the land were equally upset because Constantine, by their standing, was greedy and self-serving and more likely to badly misuse them and siphon off profits for himself, which is unfortunately exactly what he started to do And it was so egregious that the governor of Sicily had to have him arrested and thrown into prison. Like, that is how bad this man was now mismanaging the properties in Sicily. Wow. But by this point, Conan had died, so he couldn't have any say in rectifying the situation. I I will quote from the Liber Pontificalis. It was against custom and without the clergy's consent, but at the instigation of evil men and to the repugnance of churchmen, 
that Conan appointed Constantine, a deacon of the Church of Syracuse, as rector in the patrimony of Sicily. The man was fraudulent and evasive, but he even granted him permission to use the office saddlecloth for traveling on horseback. Not long after the pontiff's death, the citizens and the occupiers of the patrimony stirred up a revolt because of him. Since it turned out that the judges disagreed about his case, the governor of the province confined him in close custody and sent him for trial to the judgment of the emperor. Not good. No. Now, unfortunately for Conan, like I've already suggested, he was to follow in his predecessor's footsteps because the illness that plagued him continued to escalate. By December, two months after his consecration, Conan was already so ill that there were concerns about whether or not he'd be able to carry out holy ordinations, let alone mass. He did conduct that one round of holy ordinations in December, but after that, Conan pretty much spent the rest of his papacy resting and trying to recover, which he never really did. So, less than a year after his consecration, Conan was dead on September 21st of 687. He was buried in St. Peter's, and Wendy J. Rudin says it was likely in the nave, but his tomb was destroyed for new St. Peter's, and no epitaph survives. And he, like all of the other popes in this era, left a large sum of money to be donated to the poor and the Mancianari after his death. But this is not entirely where the story ends. No. No, he's not about to be posthumously excommunicated like Honorius, and his body isn't about to go on some wild and wacky adventure. But while Pope Conan was dying, there were some schemes afoot. And schemes that we need to set up for a mess of what happens next week. This is just a little preamble for next week's episode. When it was clear that Conan was dying, the Archdeacon of Rome, a man called Pascal, decided he was going to take advantage of the situation and try to set himself up as the next pope. And as we've discussed in many episodes, discussing the successor to the Pope before he was dead was strictly against canon law on pain of excommunication. But Pascal wasn't looking for his support from within the church. Instead, he turned to the Exarch of Ravenna with a hefty bribe. And again, we have an account from the Liber Pontificalis, quote, when his archdeacon had seen the pontiff weakened by illness, he was led by the covetousness for the legacy already announced but not yet paid, and he wrote to his honor the new exarch John at Ravenna, promising bribes to have himself elected to the pontificate. John gave orders to the judges he appointed for Rome, and whom he sent to manage the city, that on the pontiff's death, the archdeacon was to be elected." But he's not the only man who thought that this was their golden opportunity for the papacy. Theodore, the man who'd been in the running before Conan, thought that now with the calm compromise of Conan's papacy, maybe his chances were going to be better. So, now there are two hopefuls. And then when the dying Conan, who is still alive, hears about all of this, he flat out refuses to support either candidate. He's going, no, you guys aren't supposed to be talking about this at all. Illegal. So illegal. And so instead, he makes his own suggestion to succeed him, which we also know never goes well. The Pope is not supposed to appoint his own successor. That has also been illegal. Why are you like this, you guys? He suggested a more appealing compromise candidate like himself in a priest called Sergius. 
We're going into the next episode with three men looking hopeful and a divided clergy, and none of which should have been suggested or considering the role at all at this point. Three men in a papacy. Three men in a papacy. And what happens when you have three men in a papacy? anti popes They're back! Haven't seen one of those in a while. We sure haven't. And that is where we're going to end this episode, and we're going to rate Conan. Papatum infallium. Pretty much all he can get here for good is that he commissioned the evangelization of Franconia. So he gave those missionaries a papal commission to go do that. Bad, he tried to appoint his own successor. Well, he suggested his own successor. It's not, it's not as clear as, as some of the other popes we've seen in the past try to do this, but it, it's still bad. So is it worth anything for you? <laughs> I can give him like a one, I think, maybe. He told some people to go somewhere. Yep. I, I'm going to give him a one because of the legacy of the missionaries. That's pretty much it. Fructus prohibitum. He appointed a leader who was so corrupt he ended up in jail. I mean, whether he did this on the advice of or against the advice of his counselors is worth considering. Or if it was like, you know, that was his hometown. Maybe it was like his friend and he like screwed up real bad. Nepotism, right? So it's not great. And then again, I mean, we could give him points here for suggesting his own successor, but we've already considered that. So a bad leader. He put a bad person in a role. Do we give him any scandal points for that? I, you know, I can offer him a, a measly one. Okay. I will do the same and give him a one. So he'll get a two in this category. Seculari impactum. He maintains a positive relationship with the empire. He scores some tax breaks for the church. And he ensures that the emperor is strictly defending the canons of the Sixth Ecumenical Council. All good. His election pacified tensions between the military and the church for the time being. And since we know that that's not going to go well in the future, the fact that he maintained that calm for a year is worth considering. Yeah, a whole year is pretty good, considering. Considering he was, like, sick and dying the whole time, he still managed to be enough for people to not get upset about. So it's worth a point or two. Look, I'm going to give him another measly point. Okay. Well, I will, I will match your measly point so he's getting twos across the board. <laughs> we'll see how he looks. Fossium Sanctus. Now, according to various sources, including Deborah Booten McCoy, who we use a lot, Conan was known as the handsome pope. Ooh, he's supposed to be hot. Yeah, he's supposed to be very good looking, right? Like they described him as, as having an angelic appearance, right? In, in the Liber Pontificalis. And then there is a suggestion, there's a quote from Deborah Booten McCoy's article where she says, the drawings of the pope depict him as a young man with strong facial features. Where are these drawings? I, I couldn't find them anywhere. And it, it, it drove me crazy because again, they're talking about this man being so old. But he's supposed to be the handsome Pope. Let's see what you think. Let's look at this hot old man. Okay. That was a very <laughs> average old man. It's not an attractive old man. He's got super, super wrinkles on his forehead that are kind of making lips in the center of his forehead. The mustache is good. There, The bunny poof is back. Yeah, it is. Uh, he immediately, he looks like Blaine's dad from iZombie. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. I I'm going to send you some, some more photos of him. 
So remember when we found that artist who was doing the Pope a Day images? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's it's a thing. There's that. Let's rate him. And then I have one more thing to tell you. So what do you think it's worth? Jeez, not an awful lot. This Robert, I guess Robert Nepper is the actor's name. So that's what he looks like um, to me. I cannot give him a high rating. I'm going to give him maybe a three. <laughs> okay. I'm going to I'm going to give him a 2. I am I'm definitely I'm aware that I am biased because everyone kept calling him the handsome pope. And he's definitely not the handsome pope. So it has it has affected my judgment. So I'm going to give him a 2 and he'll get a score of 1.25. Remember our bad artist friend? Yeah, who's kind of been getting better. So they're both Jafifs, but look God at them. God damn it. I have news. I have discovered where they are from. Where? They are from the Chronologia Ecclesiastica by Aki Palmieri from the 17th century. I don't know if he did them himself. I don't know if that's the name of the artist or just the guy who put the book together because it's a chronicle. But our bad images are from this book. And I discovered it only very recently. I didn't find it doing Conan's episode. I found it much later. But this was the next episode we were releasing. So I was too excited and had to put it in. We know where the bad artist is from now. Uh, well, he was getting better, but now he's gone back to his lazy Colin Mockeries. Yeah, they are, they are definitely lazy Colin Mockeries, and they're not, there's nothing to say about them. But now we know where they're from. <laughs> I've been sitting on this news for like two weeks, Fry. <laughs> I feel really bad if Colin Mockery ever listens to our show. Hey, we never said that Colin Mockery was was ugly or anything like that. We just said that they've done a poor imitation of him. So maybe he'd be flattered. <laughs> yes. Tempus Pontificus. October 21st of 686 to September 21st of 687. 11 months, which gets rounded up for a score of 0.25. All right, everybody. It's the canon bonus round. Do, 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 do. No. Not a saint. He didn't hang around long enough. So that brings us to his total score, which is a, a 7.5. Okay, that is uh, terrible, but not our lowest, right? No, no, it's not not at all our lowest, for sure. He's, he's definitely scored higher than some of our very, very weenie popes. Like, we have fives and stuff in there, so. But it's not great, which doesn't bode well when I ask you if he's papally enough. And pizzazzy enough with an impact enough for a papal bull? Why did you even ask me? Because it's the format. <sighs> you gotta go with it. Yeah, it's a no. It's just a no. But you know what? I, I have to say, we've, we've been on a bit of a dry run. Byzantine popes here are not, they're not that interesting so far, you guys. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I think that's about to change, so we'll see how that goes. We'll see if uh, if our situation next week gives us any sort of reason to kind of bolster that up. But that brings us to the end, where we have some patrons to absolve of their temporal sins. So we need to thank Andrea Kilma, A.B. Jaff, J.C.T., Slothinator, and Mitchell Dutt. Flothinator. That's a great name. Flothinator. Yeah, yeah. So this is, we just get people's usernames on Patreon. If they want us to read out something else, I mean, send us a message. 
And we also have some thank yous to make. First of all, we need to thank Richard and we need to thank Ruger because they are both providing so many sources for this show. Thank you, Heck and Richard. Yeah, Heck and Richard, thank you so much. Bought a ton of books off of our wish list. And Ruger is my Carolingian best buddy friend. I don't know how I would be doing the episodes that I'm working on right now without his support. He is amazing. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I also want to thank the History Boys podcast, the Age of Victoria podcast, the History of the Inca podcast, and Come Back a Star podcast for shouting out about us. That's super awesome. And and definitely check out Come Back a Star specifically because they are using the Rexy pod formula just like we are. Oh yeah, new one. I saw yeah. that. And and they were they were lovely. They reached out to us. I got to listen to a couple of their episodes before they went live, which was neat. So very, very cool. Congrats, guys, on your release. We also need to thank all of our listeners, because we just hit a quarter million downloads. That's so many. And um they're never gonna hear this, but huge thanks to the Toronto Star that decided to write about us. Yeah. That was random. That was a super random thing. We were not expecting at all and a very nice surprise we got a headline nod and everything it was was wild and super awesome and last but not least we need to tell you about history pods historypods.com a new website that i have somewhat participated in in the creation of or the support of is a it's a whole new place for you to find all of your favorite independent history podcasts so if you're tired of when you ask for history podcast recommendations, only hearing about like Dan Carlin's hardcore history, Mike Duncan's history of Rome and revolutions, and you need something new and maybe but small. Haven't you heard of Dan Carlin's hardcore history? Right. And if you're tired of that being the only recommendation you get, this is a whole website dedicated to all of the newest history pods, all indie, no algorithms. It's just whatever episodes are up recently, they're, they've got it for you. They've got a whole list. They've also made it so that if you search certain keywords, shows that match that keyword will show up. So even if you're not looking at the most recent episode, if you're interested in like the history of Italy, you should be able to like type it in and get podcasts that talk about that or anything your heart desires because... Literally, they're adding about 100 podcasts a week right now, and it's awesome. So check that out for new things to listen to. And with that, I think that's a good way to end. We can say thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.